you don't want to get the vaccine, huh? Yeah? Yeah, is that right? Well, too bad. No more Mr. Nice politician. You keep resisting that vaccine and Don Cuomo-Leone is going to come on over to your house and make you an offer you can't refuse. We have to get in those communities and we have to knock on those doors and we have to convince people and put them in a car and drive them and get that vaccine in their arm. That is the mission. We're going to load them up in a car. We're going <laughs> to... That's my father, Kay, and Luca Brazzi's. Cuomo is not the only governor who's demanding that you take the jab. COVID cases are reportedly soaring. And apparently it's all because of vaccine hesitancy. But the problem you see with the Libs' new strategy of blaming vaccine hesitancy is that the leading cause of vaccine hesitancy is thugs like Andy Cuomo. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Joe McAfee, not to be confused with John McAfee, who definitely did not kill himself. Joe writes, didn't I hear last week that those most hesitant to get the vaccine are people of color? Why isn't this guy being called out, the one who's arguing about vaccine hesitancy, for his blatant racism? Well, you see, because there are different sets of standards depending on how you identify in this culture gone mad. You know, in this culture gone mad, it's very important to protect yourself and your property, which is why I would strongly recommend American Home Shield. I recently became a homeowner. You know, being in LA, you, you live in a cardboard box, but then moved to the South, got a home, and that's great. It's really great. I really love it except that homes are money pits and things break and no one likes to think about household breakdowns, but they happen. They happen way more often than you would like, certainly way more often than I would like, which is why it pays to have a plan from American Home Shield to help cover the costs to repair and replace things like your AC or your fridge. American Home Shield members get more, more coverage options and fewer exclusions. From HVAC systems and plumbing to kitchen appliances, their plans help protect parts of up to 23 essential home systems and appliances. In just the past few months, I've had breaks on, I think, all of those categories, as a matter of fact. So right now, to celebrate 50 years of providing homeowners peace of mind, you can take $50 off their most comprehensive plans ever. Go to ahs.com slash save $50. That is ahs.com slash for $50 off any plan. Do it right now. You will thank me later. Service fees, limitations, and exclusions apply. See plan for details. American Home Shield. Be sure with the shield. Andy Cuomo, who famously mishandled the, infamously mishandled the coronavirus and killed thousands of senior citizens needlessly by shipping sick, peop- sick people into nursing homes and then covered it up and hid it from federal investigators. But thankfully then for him, Joe Biden got into office and then nixed the federal investigation. Andy Cuomo, is going to show up to your house, load you up in a car, and then stick a needle in your arm. And he's not the only one who's threatening to do that. Governor Bateman in California, Governor Gavin Newsom, Mr. Mussolini, is also getting in on the act. Is it time, Governor, to bring back a universal mask mandate, uh, regardless of vaccination status there in California? Look, we don't even have to have that debate if we can just get everybody vaccinated that's not vaccinated, that's refusing to get vaccinated, that's living uh, vaccine free and impacting the rest of us. It's like drunk drivers. You don't have the right to go out and drink and drive and put everybody else at risk, including your own life at risk. What's funny about this 
explanation that he's giving, this analogy that he's making, is how stuffy he sounds. Does Bateman, does Governor Bateman have the coronavirus? He, I don't know. The, the, you are hearing a lot of stories now about huge numbers of people who were vaccinated now getting the virus anyway. I personally know people who got vaccinated and then they just get the virus anyway. Uh, but you have to get it because it's very, very important, even though it doesn't work. So you got to wear the mask anyway, and we'll keep you posted on what the science says tomorrow. What uh, Governor Newsom is saying, that's right, Newsom, that's his name. What, what he's saying is that if you do not receive the experimental drug for the virus that poses a very, very low threat to a lot of people, then it's basically like you're drunk driving. And, you'd, and the point he's making is that there are you know, externalities to your behavior when you're talking about health. This is kind of the premise of public health. And so the state has a right to go in and enforce certain health measures. And I actually agree with that in principle. I think a lot of conservatives would agree with that in principle. You hear all of these comparisons being made to the to smallpox or polio or to the bubonic plague, for goodness sakes. The issue is not so much the principle as it is the particular, because the flu is not bubonic plague. The Wu flu is not polio. And by the way, the public health professionals and the politicians who have been ordering us around for the past year and a half have gotten a lot of things wrong, gotten most things wrong. The issue here is the particulars. Does the state have credibility to order me to take this experimental drug now for a virus that poses very, very infinitesimally small risk to huge numbers of people. It poses a greater risk to some people, but to most people, very low risk. Newsom's not the, I don't, I don't want to seem overly partisan here. It's not just Newsom and Cuomo that are doing this. Even some Republican governors are getting in on the action, notably the squish governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, who is going on Jake Tapper's show on CNN, tells you everything you need to know about him, to to convince people to go get vaxxed. This is a pivotal uh, moment uh, in our uh, race against the uh, COVID virus. We have school coming up. Uh, We have a lot of sports activities that people are expecting and anxious about and is important for normalcy. And uh, what's holding us back is a low vaccination rate. We're doing all that we can. And uh, I made the decision that it's really not uh, what the government can tell you to do, but it is uh, the community and their engagement and uh, citizens talking to other citizens and trust advisors, whether it's medical uh, community or whether it's employers, those are key. That's why I'm having these town hall meetings. It's more than listening. It is really engaging the community, and so far we've seen a uh, 40% increase in our vaccinations uh, since we started this. Our goal, get information out, help them to make the right decision, push the vaccination, and uh, hopefully we'll be ready for school uh, within the next month. So this guy's got a lighter touch, obviously, than Newsom who is calling the people who are skeptical of the experimental drug, uh, you know, drunk drivers, who's comparing them to them. And Andrew Cuomo, who's threatening to go knock down your house and break your kneecaps and and then wear your kneecaps once stood, inject you with the vaccine. So Hutchinson is saying, well, we're engaging with the community and uh, okay, fine. You'll recall that Asa Hutchinson is the 
Republican governor of Arkansas who defended transing the kids. He said that it was very important that we continue to allow pervert parents to mutilate their children and inject them with cross-sex hormones and all this sort of stuff. So he's not exactly the authority on conservative political philosophy, but it's not even just the squishes. We actually are at a turning point. I don't think it's a turning point on COVID and the, the fight against the Wu flu or whatever, but I do think it's a turning point on the way that people are going to be talking about this vaccine because now even the Republicans are really going along with this and even the conservative Republicans are. So Kay Ivey, who's the governor down in Alabama, generally speaking, a very conservative woman, she has harsh words for people who are not getting the vaccine. She says that we need to start blaming them for the spread of the virus. Let's be crystal clear about this issue. Media, I want you to start reporting the facts. The new cases in COVID because of unvaccinated folks. Almost 100% of the new hospitalizations are with unvaccinated folks. And the deaths, certainly, occurring with unvaccinated folks. These folks are choosing a horrible lifestyle, self-inflicted pain. We've got to get folks to take the shot vaccine is the greatest weapon we have to fight COVID. There's no question about that. The data proves it. I've taken the shot back in December, both shots. And it's just the thing to do. So the unvaccinated is who we need to focus on. Y'all get them to start taking the shot. It's their job to take care of themselves and us as well. We can't do that for them. All we can do is everybody take the shot themselves. So encourage others to do likewise. So Kay Ivey, not mincing words. I mean, elsewhere she said almost, I think, explicitly blame, blame the unvaccinated if, if uh, the cases continue to spike. So what's going on here? Why the big switch? Because for a long time you heard Republicans saying, well, people make whatever choices they want. Ron DeSantis is now strongly encouraging people to get vaccinated at all age levels. He's still got a lighter touch than Cuomo and Newsom, but still saying, go out there, get vaccinated. Why? I think the reason is Politically, there's no upside to telling people to make a prudential judgment. What's the upside to that? You're going to be blamed if the COVID cases spike. You're going to be blamed for any death whatsoever. Forget about deaths from heart disease, overdose, suicide, cancer, any sort of other, those deaths you're not going to be blamed for. But one person dies from coronavirus, you're going to be blamed for that if you're a governor, especially if you're a Republican governor. So there's no upside to telling people not to get vaccinated. Also because if someone does face a side effect from the vaccine, and there have been plenty of documented cases of that, the CDC and the FDA admit that. But if there will be, it's going to be so covered up by the media that you're, you're probably not going to face a lot of blame for that. So all of the political pressure is in the direction of telling people to go get vaccinated. And yet there are still a lot of people who don't want to do it. And as Kay Ivey is saying, the, all the numbers of people dying and being hospitalized with, from coronavirus are among the unvaccinated people. But notice they're not getting more specific. They're not saying it's unvaccinated 25-year-olds. You know, it's unvaccinated 30-year-olds. No, because the people who are at greatest risk here are much, much older or they have lots of comorbidities. So even still, you have this prudential judgment. If you're 80 years old, should you get the vaccine? I don't know. If I were 80 years old, I'd, I'd probably be leaning strongly in that direction. If you're 15 years old, do you need to get the vaccine? I don't know. If I were 15 years old, I probably would not be leaning in that direction. Although for 
15 year olds, obviously their parents are, and their schools and other people are going to have a huge say over that sort of thing. And the New York Times is doing its best to ramp up the blame game. So the New York Times has a, a new article out, quote, the Delta variant is the symptom of a bigger threat, vaccine refusal. I'm glad at least they're acknowledging that there are bigger threats than the Delta variant, goodness sakes. Because we were told for a year and a half that COVID is the single greatest threat to a- anyone ever in the history of the world. Now we've got the Delta variant, the Indian variant. And from the, from the data, it seems that the Delta variant is actually less deadly than the original COVID virus, uh, though it, perhaps it's more transmissible. But they're admitting, yeah, there's a greater threat. The greater threat is people not doing what we tell them to do. Here's the tweet. Americans have been hearing for months about the frightening, frightening rise of the Delta variant. But the virus is not the root cause of surging infection rates in parts of the country. Vaccine refusal and hesitancy are to blame. Okay, fine. Let's say that. Let's just go with your premise, New York Times, that the real threat here is not so much the the variant as the vaccine refusal, because the vaccine is going to do a great job at stopping the spread of the variant, even though we're also told the vaccine doesn't do very much, so you got to wear a mask and you got to stop going places, whatever. What is the cause of vaccine refusal and hesitancy? What is the cause of that? Because as our commenter pointed out at the top of the show, black people are disproportionately likely to be skeptical of the vaccine and to refuse to take the vaccine. This is never mentioned in any of the mainstream media coverage here. But And why, for instance, would black people in particular be hesitant to get the vaccine? Well, as even the left-wing media will admit, because there have been very dodgy public health professionals in the history of this country who have pushed experimental drugs on black people and it hasn't redounded always to their benefit. Why would people generally be hesitant to get the vaccine? Is it because they're dumb idiot, the idiot percentage, as that MSNBC guy said yesterday, because they're deplorable, irredeemable, bitter, clinging, blah, blah. Or is it because the public health professionals and the politicians and the media have lied to them every step of the way. They lied to them about 15 days to slow the spread. They lied to them about the the virus occurring naturally in bats. They lied to them about the virus coming from the Wuhan wet market. They lied to them about the the leak from the Wuhan laboratory. They lied to them about funding from the United States and from NHIAD and Dr. Fauci and the NIH generally. They lied to them about everything. And so they don't have credibility. And so when those same people, those dishonest, corrupt, inept people tell them, hey, you've got to get the vaccine, guess what the reaction's going to be? No, go take a long walk off a short bridge. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. And it's not their fault. It is not the fault of the black people or the fault of the deplorables or the fault of the rural idiot percentage American, whatever you want to call them. It's your fault, New York Times, and it's your fault, Dr. Fauci, and it's your fault, political establishment, that has squandered your credibility. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it from the New York Times. I don't believe them. I'm extremely skeptical when they tell me that the Delta variant's a big threat and it's surging and it's the cases and everyone needs to, I just, I just don't believe them. And my disbelief is not my fault. (laughs) My disbelief is rational because you guys don't have any credibility. They're going to use every means at their disposal, by the way, to get everyone, regardless of age, regardless of risk, regardless of circumstance, to take the shot. Bill de Blasio, going back up to 
to our thug friends in New York State. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, is lamenting the fact that they're not going to institute a mandate at the state level, at the city level. It's just not politically viable. So instead, what Bill de Blasio wants is for businesses to institute mandates to force people to get the shot. We announced this week that we are mandating uh, that everyone who works in our public hospitals either has to get vaccinated one time, you know, when you're fully vaccinated, you're done, uh, or has to be tested every week for COVID. We'll give you every chance, but if you don't agree to one of those things, then you're suspended without pay. I'm calling upon all New York City employers, uh, and including our private hospitals, uh, move immediately to some form of mandate, uh, whatever the maximum you feel you can do. Um, any form of mandate, including the type we're doing, you know, the either or approach, any type of mandate helps. It will move the ball. It will get more people vaccinated. It will change consciousness. So we have reached the limits of a purely voluntary system. It's time for more mandates. <laughs> now, Bill de Blasio basically wakes up saying this in the middle of the night since he was a child. It's time for more mandates. We need, there's nothing a mandate can't fix. Need the mandate. COVID? Oh, sure. We need a, a COVID mandate. So he, he obviously wants to mandate these things. Another argument for skepticism here of the vaccine, et cetera, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just describing to you why people are skeptical of this. I'm not even making the tightest, soundest, most logical argument. I'm just making an observation. Bill de Blasio is wrong about everything. He's wrong about absolutely everything. He's wrong about human nature. He's wrong about the way that the citizen should relate to the state. He's wrong about metaphysical things. He's wrong about physical things. He's wrong about abortion. He's wrong about immigration. He's wrong about the economy. He's wrong about everything. He's wrong about everything. And he's really, really insistent that you get the jab. Same goes for Cuomo, same goes for Pelosi, same goes, now you're, you're beginning to see some Republicans a little, be a little bit more encouraging, but I'm just, if you're the average ordinary person, you don't have a ton of time to pay a lot of attention to politics, and you see that the people and the institutions who are most insistent that everybody, regardless of risk, throw their prudence out the window and just get the jab, that, that all of those people and institutions are wrong about everything else. It is perfectly rational and natural for you to say, huh, maybe they're wrong about this too. I'm not saying they necessarily are wrong about this too, but I'm just explaining. I'm just observing why people might be slow to get it. And, and you can see here the means by which the, the left is going to do this. And, and by the way, it's not even just about the vaccine. It, this is the, the vaccine and the public health dictatorship is just a very clear example of the broader problem of the blob of the liberal establishment that is going to use not just the force of government, but the force of every tentacle that this, that this animal has to, to control you and, and shape your behavior and get you to bend to its will. So de Blasio says, yeah, okay, we're not gonna be able to do this at the city level. So I, I'm calling on all businesses to do my will. I'm calling on all businesses to act as proxies, enforcement arms for the liberal state. And this is what the establishment does. It's not just the government. You know, there was a, an announcement yesterday, one of the most terrifying announcements to come out of the liberal establishment surveillance state in quite some time. PayPal 
is teaming up with the ADL. The ADL is the quote unquote anti-defamation league. It's a far left hideous organization that should be banished from the country. The PayPal is teaming up with the ADL to suppress quote unquote hate movements. What's a hate movement? I think to, according to the ADL, anybody slightly to the right of Hillary Clinton constitutes a hate movement. PayPal's teaming up with the ADL to, quote, uncover and disrupt the financial pipelines that support extremist and hate movements. Okay, this is according to a joint statement, both from PayPal and the ADL. The initiative will focus on white supremacists. You know, all those white supremacists. I think there are about seven white supremacists in the country. They all work for the FBI. <laughs> They're all just informing on each other. But it's, gonna, it's going to focus on the white supremacists, the anti-government organizations, and that Anti-government is in quotes in the statement, which is very strange. And those propagating and profiting from anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, racism, anti-immigrant, anti-black, anti-Hispanic, and anti-Asian hate. Well, hold on here. Let's, let's just pause. So white supremacy, that word doesn't mean anything anymore. Anti-government organization. Are we, are we anti-government? I'm anti-this government. I'm not anti-government per se. I'm not an anarchist, but I'm anti this government. So I guess, okay, I check that box. Uh, let's see. Anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-Semitic. Islamophobic. What is Islamophobic? An irrational, I don't think it's an irrational, I'm not Muslim. I don't support an Islamic takeover of the West. I guess. So I guess, I guess I check that box. Racism. Again, that word doesn't mean anything anymore. Anti-immigrant. Well, I think we should drastically reduce immigration, both legal and illegal. So I guess I check that box. Anti-black. No. Anti-Hispanic. No. Anti-Asian. No. Hate. Well, what is, I don't know. The hate has been redefined again to mean just about any conservative movement. So gosh, even I'm, I'm a pretty moderate guy and I check all those, I guess I guess we should all be pretty worried about, now maybe you don't use PayPal. I don't really use PayPal that much, but I strongly suspect this is just the shot across the bow. I strongly suspect that pretty soon this one financial institution is going to add on to it, you know, some more financial institutions and that pretty soon you will be ostracized if you in any way dissent from the dominant leftist regime. Which brings me to Ben's new book, The Authoritarian Moment, which drops today. Ben is doing a live stream book signing tonight, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central at dailywire.com. Ben Shapiro, YouTube, Ben Shapiro Facebook page. You can order your limited edition signed book right now for just 30 bucks at dailywire.com slash Ben. You can submit a question when you go to purchase your signed copy. Ben may answer it during the live signing. That's dailywire.com slash Ben to get your signed copy today. Be sure to tune into the live signing tonight, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, and mark your calendars because tomorrow we're going to be doing a special episode of Backstage with special guest Candace Owens. We'll be discussing how communism keeps trying to work its way into the American society, so do not miss it. We'll be right back with a lot more. PayPal is teaming up with a radical leftist organization to decide whether or not you get to use a financial service. And if the radical leftist organization doesn't like your politics, which it so broadly defines a hate movement that it basically anyone could fall into it, if you're in any way on the right, uh, that uh, they could prevent you from using a financial service. And I suspect more companies are going to sign on to this. I was thinking the other day about how America, we all boast. We all boast about our freedom. You know, we say, gosh, you know, in China, 
communist China. They, they have something called a social credit score. Oh my gosh, how dystopian is this? In China, you will be rated for your opinions and the people you associate with and the kind of behaviors that you engage in. And then if your score falls too low, according to the regime, why you'll be ostracized and you'll be prevented from, from exercising some of your rights. Gosh, thank goodness we live in the good old US of A where that sort of thing doesn't, uh, wait a second. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sure looks familiar to me. Sure looks familiar to me. This is how the regime enforces its will, not just through big government, which is the sole problem that the right has focused on over the past 30 years, but through big technology and through big corporation and through big nonprofit, especially through the schools. A fourth grade teacher is in slight hot water right now because she uh, passed out a radical leftist, critical race theory inspired equity survey and told students to hide the survey from their parents. My name is Haley Asgard. I was in fourth grade at Riverview Intermediate School last year. During distance learning, I was asked to complete the equity survey. My teacher said that I could not skip any questions even when I didn't understand. One question asked us what gentrified we identified with. I was very confused along with a lot of other classmates. A boy in my class asked my teacher if his mom could explain the question to him because even after the teacher explained it, he still didn't understand. My teacher told him that he was not allowed to ask his mom and that we could not repeat any of the questions to our parents. I want the school board to know how uncomfortable and nervous this made me. My mom always tells me I can tell her anything, but she also tells me I can trust my teachers too. Being asked to hide this from my mom made me feel very uncomfortable. I was doing like I was doing something wrong. Thank you. I love it. I love great job to this girl. You know, very often I I don't like it when little kids go up and speak at the school board or speak at the town meeting or whatever and give some impassioned political speech. And then people on the left and the right say, wow, yes, she's speaking truth to power or whatever. Because I think that kids don't really know anything and so they shouldn't be giving political speeches. But that's not what this girl's doing. This girl is not giving her opinion about some political issue. She is just reporting facts that actually were being suppressed by the school. So the school is passing out this radical leftist equity survey, which has all sorts of hideous premises in it, especially on issues of race, and explicitly told, do not show this to your parents. Why? Because the parents will object, because it's radical leftism that's brainwashing these kids, and because the teacher believes that the school has the exclusive right to educate kids and parents have no rights whatsoever. So this girl comes up, good on her, and says, this is a big problem. How did this happen? Well, the school district in Minnesota, a lot of these radical policies are coming out of Minnesota, I'm noticing. And the Sartell St. Stephen District Uh, They hired the leftist Equity Alliance Minnesota to conduct an $80,000 audit on, quote, racial inequities within the school district. This is according to Alpha News. And then students were required to complete the survey for the audit and parents, taxpayers, were not, not permitted to know about this kind of a survey. When the left tells you that critical race theory is not being taught in schools, remember this story. We covered another story like this yesterday. What the schools are doing is they're going out and they are hiring critical race theorists. (laughs) They are hiring people 
who are operating very much within the legal analytical framework of critical race theory to go in and rewrite curricula in schools. And they're paying these people handsomely to do it. And then your kids are being taught the products of that revision. That is happening. Do not let them gaslight you. Now, while the regime is pushing its radicalism through the schools, through the nonprofits, through the private businesses, through everything, some people are pushing back against these bureaucrats. Great story, and it's not really being reported on coming out of Atlantic City. But it, but it really highlights the, the political conflict we've got right now. Atlantic City has had a needle exchange. Needle exchanges are, generally speaking, liberal policies where you tell drug addicts to show up to a place, they can shoot up, they can do drugs, but they've just got to get clean needles. You know? And so it, give, it prevents the spread, theoretically, it prevents the spread of certain diseases, uh, but it still encourages these drug, drug addicts to continue doing drugs. They just have to do it in a slightly more controlled environment. So Jersey, uh, Atlantic City, one of the more degenerate cities in the country, though I love it very much. I used to go there a lot when I was a kid. And, you know, coming from New York, you go to the Jersey Shore a lot. So I've got a really soft spot in my heart for AC. Not the greatest town in the world. They shut down the needle exchange after a spike in deaths from drug overdoses. The Oasis Drop-In Center serves 1,200 drug addicts. It's the only syringe service site in the Atlantic City area. It's the only place where, can you imagine how awful? It's the only place where druggies can go in and get more needles to shoot up with. Uh, It's being closed after a 7-2 city council vote. The decision was very unpopular among public health professionals. The public health professionals said, look, it's it's much better in our estimation for drug addicts to come in. They're going to keep doing drugs and destroying their lives, but they'll get clean needles to do it with. And the citizens of the place and their, their representatives on the city council said, no, because we're the only needle site. So all the druggies are coming in from all the surrounding areas and they're bringing a lot of crime and they're bringing a lot of drug overdoses to our city. I mean, this is the, I was at a bachelor party in Atlantic City once and we were joking about how we'd have to, to try to jump over the needles on the beach because you didn't want to accidentally get stuck. Th- that is how bad the drug problem is in Atlantic City. So the, the, The debate here was over what is best for the community. And the public health professionals were looking only in this very narrow lane of it is best to reduce the spread of certain diseases if we subsidize the drug use by giving new needles. But the political community was looking at the much broader question. What's better for crime? What's better for how we live together? What's better for the overall functioning of our community? be it on the economic level and the social level, what's better for kids, what's better, what's better for everybody. That was the battle that should have taken place during COVID, but unfortunately it didn't because we, in our political community, handed over all the reins to the society to this one group of bureaucrats. And so the only thing that was said to matter was the spread of this one woo flu of the, of the COVID cough. We neglected the economy, we neglected our civil rights, we neglected our traditions, we we neglected civic associations, we neglected the church, we neglected everything else. When President Trump had his press conferences, it shouldn't have been the Dr. Fauci hour or the Dr. Scarf era. It, It should have been the economic advisor, the military advisor, the civil liberties advisor, the everybody, everybody there to say, well, no, okay, you, get, you gain a little here, you lose a little here. So kudos to Atlantic City for reasserting an authentically political understanding. The nonprofits, though, speaking of civil liberties, by the way, the ACLU, one of the more ironically named organizations in the country, 
most of these nonprofits, with, often with ironic names, are just going to enforce the whims of the dominant regime. So the ACLU right now is going after the Second Amendment. <laughs> the American Civil Liberties Union is now trying to undermine your Second Amendment rights, the Bill of Rights. The ACLU tweets at, racism, racism is foundational to the Second Amendment and its inclusion in the Bill of Rights. Learn more from experts Carol Anderson and Charles Howard Candler on this episode of their podcast. There was a time when the ACLU would defend a very expansive view of the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or our entire Bill of Rights. But that doesn't happen now. The ACLU, and I I didn't even like the ACLU then, they were always on the left. But now the regime is insisting on this very narrow understanding of its priorities. And so the ACLU is going to follow suit. It is not enough to fight against big government. You've got to fight against big government, big tech, big business, big nonprofit a lot of the time. One of the one of the most effective ways that America projects its empire around the world is through nonprofits and even within the United States. And the, the worst thing that you can possibly be labeled in this country is racist. Racism is the new synonym for sin, and it's supposed to comprise all forms of sin. So they say the Second Amendment's racist, you got to get rid of the Second Amendment. Speaking of racism, the Cleveland Indians have changed their name. They're, this has been up for a while now. You remember the Redskins had to change their name and the Indians have to change their name and the Reds have to change their name. And you'd always poll actual Indians, feather, not dot. And they would say, we don't care. We don't, we want, we want more money. We want more opportunity. We want, but we don't care about the stupid baseball team name. But the left focuses on the baseball team name. It is now, it is racist to have your team called the Indians. So they've changed the name to the Guardians. And for some reason, Tom Hanks is here to tell us about it. We remember those moments as we move forward with change. You see, it has always been Cleveland that's the best part of our name. And now it's time to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city, to keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest, to come together and welcome all who want to join us, We are loyal and proud and resilient. We protect what we've earned and always defend it. Together we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land. Because this is the city we love and the game we believe in. And together we are all Cleveland Guardians. The Guardians. That's a little clever because it keeps the sound at least at the end of the name and the, the syllables. Okay. You notice anything strange about that ad? Well, if you were listening, one strange thing is why is Tom Hanks the single whitest man ever born, I think, in the entire world? Why is he narrating this? If, it, if the whole thing is about how whites were racist against the Indians. And okay, that's one question. And if you were watching it, something you might notice, a bit strange. As far as I can tell, there aren't any Indians in the commercial. <laughs> the, the whole point was we have wronged the Indians and now we're going to make it up to them by changing the name. Wouldn't you, you'd expect the ad to be about Indians, but it's not. There's white people and there's black people and there's some Hispanic people, I think, sort of a margin call for, but as far as I can tell, there's no, there's no Indians, which is the theme here. When establishment liberalism 
enforces itself through political correctness, through these new speech codes, through calling anything it doesn't like racist. What it does is it does not give new privileges to the Indians, for instance. It just erases them. So where once Indians, Native Americans, were represented and present in the Cleveland baseball team, now they're gone. They're just gone. They're just erased. They are no more. The Lando Lakes Butter lady. Remember, there's a Native American woman, illustrated by a Native American woman, by the way. She was sitting on a plot of land on the butter. Well, now she's been erased. But they kept the land. (laughs) They got rid of the Indian and they kept the land. The story of the ages, isn't it? And this is supposed to be woke and politically correct. Just erase all the Indians. It's not just the Indians. Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima is a black character performed by a black actress created by a black comedian, Billy Kersans, erased by almost certainly some white marketing lady at the, at the syrup company. Completely erased. Now it's just the syrup. Now it's just old timey syrup. This is ironically the effect is to homogenize everything, remove any cultural eccentricity, any, any diversity whatsoever, all in the name of anti-racism. Just erasing. This is pretty funny. There are, it is, it's sad, but it's fun. There are some funny aspects to this inane and bizarre leftist racial ideology. I think the funniest turn of events in the new racial identity ideology or the latest stage of the racial identity ideology on the left is the racial advocacy pledge that just came out of a group called Dallas Justice Now. I love this. I, I want to frame this letter. I love it so much. It's a, it's a letter written to white libs who go along with this radical leftist racial group. To our white allies. This is an open letter to wealthy white liberals of HPISD from, from Dallas Justice Now. I guess from the school district to Dallas Justice Now. Talk is not enough. Commit yourself towards taking action and making sacrifices to correct centuries of injustice. Open up spaces for black and Latinx communities by refusing, <laughs> just, this is so, mm, by refusing to send your kids to Ivy League and U.S. News and World Report top 50 schools and encourage friends neighbors, and family members to do the same. Imagine if those hundreds of thousands of spots at these institutions were occupied only by marginalized communities. Imagine the opportunities. We can achieve true equity within our lifetimes, but only if white folks are willing to sacrifice their privileges. Thank you. When I first saw this, I was certain that Dallas Justice Now was just a right-wing op, like it was just a joke. Because the point is, oh, great. Hey, you white libs who post the black square and you show up at, in the streets and you, you pretend to care about this stuff. Cool. Don't send your kid to the Ivy League because your kids are going to the Ivy League at higher rates because statistically they get better SAT scores and even maybe because they're better connected or maybe you're donating to the schools or whatever. But even if it's just the SAT scores. So if your kids don't apply, then that won't be as big of a problem. And then our kids will get to go. So you're going to do that, right? Because you're an ally. Because you, you really care about this stuff. You're going to, these white libs in not just this school district, but wealthy white libs and, and middle to up, middle up, upper middle class white libs in every school district across this country would crawl over broken glass to secure their child a spot at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Penn, Columbia, Brown, any of those schools. Would crawl, truly would do anything 
Do you remember the Lori Laughlin or Lough, what, what's her name? The one who she she paid a bunch of money to fake her kids' credentials so she could get into like USC or something. I mean, this this is the obsession that these white libs have with sending their kids to the prestigious schools. And this racial advocacy group says, okay, you really care about us? Cool. Then give up that thing that you really like. And then it do- doesn't just end there. So you've got, you've got the uh, carrot, right? You've got the enticement to do this where you'll be an ally. It'll be so great. But then you've got the stick. So they write about the racial advocacy. Then they say, okay, so you've got to then take the pledge. I will not do this. I will not send my kid to whatever. And uh, if you do not do this, you will be doxxed. <laughs> so the racial Dallas Justice now says they will publish the names of the parents who, who do not sign the pledge. So you got to sign the pledge because otherwise you'll be doxxed, you'll be threatened. Obviously, after this, the summer of hate last year, you'll be threatened with violence and you, you might have your home burned down. So sign the pledge. Hey, hey, Libs, this is the, this is the world you wanted. So, so sign the pledge. Something tells me they're not going to do that. Just, but it's, it, maybe they will because they're afraid of having their homes and their businesses burned down. So much of the, this radical ideology being pushed, not just by the fringes, but by the regime itself, is not a matter of argumentation and logic. It's just a matter of brute force. Do this or I'm going to come to your home and I'm going to throw you in a car and I'm going to stick you with a needle. Right? Go do this or I'm going to come over, I'm going to publish the name of your house and roving mobs that burned our country down last year are going to come after you too. AOC was just on Don Lemon's show on CNN. And AOC said, it's very important not just to fact check Republicans, but to confront their core logic. So Congresswoman, I want to ask you about this debate that we're seeing over critical race theory. Do you think Republican efforts to redefine it and use it as a scare tactic, do you think it's working? Well, I do think it's working because what we have seen is that the Republican base and Republican Party has really pivoted to a strategy of using race and using just the changing demographics of this country. Um, and as we saw on January 6th, using a, a white supremacist core logic in order to reanimate a very core fear in this country of the other. And so what's really important is that we come together and have a very strong rebuttal to that core logic, not just in fact-checking Republican claims, but actually confronting the core logic and addressing the core fears that they are trying to really tap into when they try to use terms like critical race theory um, as a proxy for just saying, talking about race in schools in general. So she makes actually a good point. She makes a bunch of stupid points, but she makes a good point here. It's, it's also worth noting, I don't want to let this get away. The left always tells us that if you believe that uh, there is an intentional effort to change the demographics of this country, that it's a conspiracy theory and it's white supremacist and it's crazy. And yet AOC is admitting it here. She's saying that, yes, there is an effort underway to change the demographics of this country. We're doing it. And if you complain about it, you're a white supremacist too. So if you think it's, a, it's real, you're a white supremacist. If we then tell you it's real and you object in any way, you're a white supremacist. Just wanted to point that out. But what, what she says here is it's not enough to fact check Republicans because you have to confront their core logic. And she just keeps saying core logic, whatever that means. Logic is logic. 
It's not, it's not your logic and my logic and his logic. There is logic, right? And we use logic to make arguments to one another. So when you fact check, you are checking the person's logic, the logical progressions that they have made. And you can also check their premises and you can, okay, fine. What AOC is observing though, is she can't fact check the Republicans because on the, on the facts, Republicans are right, generally speaking, on, on whatever the issue of the day is, <laughs> okay, generally speaking, the Republicans are more likely to be right than the Democrats. So she said, remember when she said, well, I'm not factually right, but I'm morally right. I'm not factually correct, but I'm morally right. So she's saying, yeah, we can't check their facts, but we can confront their core logic, meaning logic itself. The whole point of these, of these new leftist theories is we're going to argue against logic. There is no objective truth. There is no faculty of reason. The phrase objective truth itself is a white supremacist dog whistle. And so we've got to confront that. That is what, not just critical race theory, but postmodernism, so, deconstruction, so many of these, of these leftist arguments are about imposing one's tyranny of will absent any kind of logical argument. That's an offer you can't refuse because they're going to make it with their fists. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boren. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, editor-in-chief of Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's show, the Justice Department decides not to investigate nursing home deaths in 2020, House Democrats assemble a January 6th committee, and tensions rise as U.S. diplomats sit down with Chinese officials. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. <laughs> 